So before we begin uh, our passage this morning, I want to ask you a few questions. I want you to think about these questions before we get into our text. What do we treasure? Where do we find our security? What things in our lives can we not live without? Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken a personal inventory of what you treasure? Have you ever thought about the things that bring you joy, the things that you put your hope in? How often do we take an honest look at what consumes us? Is it the new toy, the new car, grown-up toys, the new job, family? What is it that we wake up thinking about, we go to sleep thinking about? Are they things with ultimate value? Are they mostly things with immediate value? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The things that have ultimate value that matter for eternity, treasures in heaven. Things with immediate value. Things on earth that moth and rust and thieves can destroy. We're going to do that as a congregation at the beginning of the year. We're going to take an honest assessment of ourselves and how do we grow into this nature of Christ and how do we grow in light of eternity and seeing treasures built up in heaven instead of being obsessed with treasures on earth. Because there's a real danger, especially in the church, of making immediate things ultimate things. Making things we can hold in our hand on par with things that are imperishable. There's a real danger of making good things essential things. Because when God created, He created good. It was good and it is good. But the good things are never to replace the eternal things. The things that bring God glory. Now, just like when you go on vacation and you book a time in a hotel room, you don't bring your own artwork. You don't change the wall Colorings. You don't bring in your, your own sheets. You don't get comfortable there because you know it's temporary. Many times we try to make our hotel rooms this temporary life as secure and as comfortable as we can. Because we act like this is our long term home. But if you are in Christ, if your salvation is secured in his hand, this is not your home. We are not to get comfortable here. We're going to talk about that. So where's the balance? Because I live here now, but my home is somewhere else. So I want us to think about that this morning. Let's read through our text and then let's pray together. So Jesus speaks to the crowds in the Sermon on the Mount. He continues in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light of you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate one and love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Lord, these passages that require us to examine ourselves are always difficult. Because these are not the sins that others can see. These are the sins that we battle with internally. Our heart and our affections many times, Lord, are not devoted to you. Many times the things of this world consume us, and Lord, forgive us when that happens. Lord, I pray that this would be a reminder of the glorious riches that we have in your presence. We don't need to seek our comfort and our security and our riches here on earth. Lord, that this passage would bring anew in us a passion for the things of your kingdom, a desire to be your light here on earth, that your spirit will guide me and guide us as we learn and grow together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing Jesus says here is do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus gets right to the immediate because he knows the temptation we all have. It is comfortable. It is easy to look for our treasure on earth. The immediate things. And he goes on to say, hear moth and rust and thieves. So whether it's animal, chemical or human, your stuff is going away. I guarantee it. And Jesus told us that it is inevitable. These things will pass away. And if they don't pass away first, we're going to get tired of them. Right? It's like last year's Christmas presents. Or last week's Christmas presents. You know, that, that, that new car smell, pretty, pretty soon it's going to smell like uh, french fries and B.O. You know, let's, let's, let's be honest. Those things wear out. The things that bring us so much joy in the moment are very, very fleeting. You know, life insurance doesn't give us life, doesn't promise us life. Stocks disappoint us. Sports and sports teams disappoint us. The things that we invest in can either take from us or they can give us life. The things of this world do not give us life. The things of of this earth only take. But the treasures in heaven are eternal and ultimate. But it's not just the possessions themselves. Because to have life insurance and to have a favorite sports team and to have Christmas toys, they're not a bad thing within themselves, but it's the affections that we attach to those things. Where is our devotion attached Is it in the things or is it in the giver of those things? Do we look to God from whom all blessings flow for our comfort or do we look to the blessings for comfort? That essentially is worldliness. I mean, worldliness can mean a lot of things, but essentially worldliness is making the good things of this world ultimate things. God gave blessings to his people. God made things good So that we can glorify him in the good things that we have. But when we take those good things, we make them ultimate things. We put them on par with God. We look to them for our comfort and our joy. Then they become an idol. And then they are earthly. They're not heavenly. And then our heart becomes divided. 
I think it's important as we walk through this life, we need to understand the things that we hold tightly to, the things that have eternal value, and the things that we hold loosely. I need water. This water is taken away from me. It does not change who my God is and where my eternal standing is. I need to hold on to things that have eternal value tightly. But just like a child who doesn't know how to share, who can't let go of the old bratty toy, when his parents want to give him a new one, we should know that our father has greater gifts than we could ever imagine for ourselves. Don't hold on to the things that don't give life. Don't hold on to the things that become your master. That we are to hold loosely the things of this world. We're to like them, of course. We're not to love the things of this world. There's a difference between liking the blessings and loving the blessings and making an idol of the blessings themselves. And that is, of course, in contrast to the treasures in heaven. Verse 20, he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where, where thieves do not break in and steal. So hard for us because we walk on earth. We breathe air. Get up every morning, put our clothes on. We go through our day. It's hard to think about eternal blessings. But scripture gives us this picture of eternity. Of the blessings that come from being in the presence of God before the throne of God. It is so beautiful and so majestic that all they can do is drop to their knees and worship. One day when we go before him, there will be a great banquet. Those of us who love to eat are especially looking forward to that because our God is preparing the best food imaginable. He's laying out the biggest buffet you've ever seen and all of our brothers and sisters throughout all eternity celebrating. And when he comes again in glory, and he comes with a new heavens and a new earth to make all things new, then the things that we sowed into with eternal value and kingdom value will be like the, home, the, the rooms in our Father's house that Jesus has prepared for us, that we are stacking up imperishable riches. And that is what our Savior wants us to focus on. The things of this world will disappoint you. Promise, guarantee, fact, not up for debate. The things that matter for eternity, they're unshakable because they are held in his very hand. So what does that look like? Kind of looks like this. When you travel to another country, we talked about a hotel room. Say we travel overseas. You go to another country and you enjoy the fruits of the country. You enjoy the scenes. You enjoy the unique food and the new, unique experiences, the architecture. But you know that that's not your, your home. The Bible calls us sojourners, aliens on this world. We are traveling through and we can enjoy the beauty that God has created. Just like when you go to Italy, you go to, you go to France, you go to these exotic locations, you enjoy what is there. But you know in the back of your mind that my home and my heart is somewhere else. Let's take that a step further. When we go to a far country... As Christians, we are sent by our Father on a diplomatic mission. And in that far country, we actually have diplomatic immunity. 
Because here, there is no condemnation for us who bear the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So the things of this world have an influence on us, but they don't have dominance over us. So as we walk as tourists, as sojourners, as aliens in a land that is not our own, we are coming on behalf of the king. And we are declaring the wonders of our nation. Well, this place is beautiful, but have you seen my home? The trees are nice here. The apples are sweet, but in my home, the apples are perfect. In my home, there is no tears. There is no sadness. There is only joy and rejoicing. The lion and the lamb. Enemies at peace in my father's kingdom. We are the marketing team for the kingdom of heaven. We don't necessarily think of ourselves like that. But Jesus gives us that picture as as light and our actions lived out in the world bring glory to God and they will look toward the Lord of all creation. We are ambassadors for the king. We are to declare our true home, not to get caught up in this hotel room in this, in this temporary time that we're in. One of the most important ways we can do that is invest in people with gospel intentionality, with the importance of things that matter for eternity. We put our lives into things that have kingdom impact. These aren't just good works for the sake of good works. Things done in the name of Christ. Things done with the gospel being at the forefront. I'm doing this because I'm loved by the King of Kings. I'm doing this because my home is an imperishable one. And I want you to know that King. I want you to know the splendor in which he reigns, in which he welcomes us in as sons. I want you to be welcomed into that family. Let me tell you about my father. Let me tell you about my home. Let my actions be a small, pale glimmer of the wonder that is my God and my Father and my King. Those are the things we invest in. And as we grow in this church and as we grow as individuals, and next year we're going to take a look at this very intentionally. of How do we do that in each other's lives? How do we bring people into that? How do we bring the gospel just out of this room and into our daily lives? How do we let the, the cash register know, excuse me, the, the person who works at the cash register know that they are valued by God? How do we let our coworkers know? How do we let our family members or our heart breaks for know that you were created in the image of God and you were created for more than this world? These things are never going to satisfy Because the root of this entire passage comes to us in this next verse, in verse 21. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Hebrew terminology, the heart is just not feelings. You know, get this 21st century Hallmark garbage out of your mind. This is not just how I feel today. This is your entire being what you treasure, where your motivations are, what makes you tick. Everything that you are is your heart. So where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you sow into, what you value, will determine what motivates you. 
and it directs everything else in our lives. As we saw in the first couple of weeks of this series in the Sermon on the Mount, that everything in the Sermon on the Mount is coming out of the Beatitudes. Those who have treasure in heaven are those who are the pure of heart. That pure is unblemished with a singular focus. Our hearts are infatuated with the things of God. Our affections are drawn in by what has eternal value. And there is where our treasures are built up. Not this divided heart that is sometimes in the world and sometimes before God. But every moment that I walk in this world, my heart is longing for my home. My heart is devoted to the things of God and not divided with the things of this earth. And this is what Jesus is getting at when he's talking about no one can serve two masters. We can't be undivided Excuse me, we, we, we can't be divided in our devotion. We must be undivided, a pure of heart. We must be, our allegiance must be to the, the things of heaven. Our affections must be solely on the things of God. We are not to be double agents. We are not to look like we belong somewhere else and then be somewhere else. We're, we're, we're not to go back and forth and, you know, maybe I'm for the Russians this, this week and for the Americans this week. We're not going back and forth between two competing powers. We know where our citizenship is. We know where our identity is. You know, we don't expect it in our marriages, but we do it in our lives, right? We're to love our spouses in such a way that we would never share that love with someone else. Love my wife. There are other women in my life who I care for and who I want to minister to when the Lord has put there uh, to be a blessing to me, but they will never compare with the love that I have for my wife, and they never should. We wouldn't accept that division in our marriages, but we do that a lot of times with the things of God. Oh, Lord, I really value your, your, your kingdom, but I got this new TV now. You know, I really value my spiritual relationships, um, but I'd rather just drink away the pain this week. There's a reason that every time idolatry was talked about in the Old Testament, it was connected to harlotry, connected to idolatry. Because when worldly things compete for our affections, we are, create, we are committing adultery against our groom. Those of us who are in Christ are to be so devoted to our husband. The things of this world could never compare. Yeah, she's pretty, but she's not my wife. My wife knows me. She knows all my faults. She knows where I need to be encouraged and where I need to be challenged. I need that. I don't need this flashy other thing. I need something that has value beyond today. That is an undivided heart that is not serving two masters, that is not split between dual affections, that is focused on what matters beyond this moment. So Jesus goes into this next section here. Seems like it's not connected, but trust me, it is. Uh, Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so your eye is healthy, So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. Scripture has a lot to say about the eye. So we're going to take a little uh, word study on 
on I, and I'm not going to have you flip all the way around. We're going to have it up on the screens. Uh, thankful for the guys who helped with, with these screens, so now we can look up, and um, I, I want you kind of uh, just digging in here for a moment, because the eyes in Scripture are not used to only talk about vision, but about understanding, and that the, the eye is, a very, is, is key to how the rest of you will look. And so we see this very early on in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, Satan uses a very interesting phrase. When he wants Adam and Eve to sin, what does he say? God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan tempted Adam and Eve with their eyes. He told them the benefit of this is that your eyes will be open. You will have an understanding of evil. See, here's what they missed. They knew good. They only knew good. And Satan says, I can open your eyes. I can open you to evil. I can bring you to the dark side. I don't know why anyone ever follows that, that, that logic, you know, but the Star Wars villains always seem to fall into that. Yeah, the dark side, great. But this is what Satan did. He appealed to the eyes. Solomon goes on uh, to draw this out a little bit further in Ecclesiastes 1.8. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says that all things are full of weariness and a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Solomon takes it a step further. That just because you see it doesn't mean where that doesn't mean that it's where it stops. My eye likes something, then my mind starts thinking about it. My heart starts desiring it, and it starts controlling my motivations. So through the eyes come corruption, come greed, come jealousy, come devotion to the things of this world. And Jesus took it even a step further in Matthew 18. And Jesus says, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into a hell of fire. So our eyes are important. We allow ourselves to see what we we, we pull in are important. Jesus said so much so, if your eye... Is going to cause you to stumble. Cut it out. You don't need it. I will give you new eyes one day. These next passages I want you to turn to. So we see the negative. The eyes can lead us down the road of temptation. The eyes can lead to sin. But I want you to turn to Luke 2 with me. You know, when we talk about the story of Jesus coming and his incarnation and so many great things we discussed this year, we... This time of year, we, we kind of forget Simeon's prayer. Simeon's prayer is so beautiful, and Simeon's eyes are the key thing here. Simeon doubted God, and he, God gave him temporary blindness. But when he removed that blindness, when he encountered the incarnate God, Luke 2, 29 through 32, this was what Simeon declared, and this is, so beautiful. This is how our eyes can be a blessing and how God uses our vision and our understanding for our good. Luke 2.29 says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. This is the greatest news in all of Scripture. That a salvation has come. Our eyes have behold it. 
And it's not just to Israel, it's, to, it's for the Gentiles. It's for us in this room and for our eyes to behold it. For us to come and know the, the, the truth that Jesus did not just come as a baby, but he came as a savior. And he came as a king. He came as our intercessor. That if we cry out to him and repent of our sins, our brother will go before our father. will plead our case and will we'll anoint our heads with his blood. We will be cleansed for our sins. That was Simeon's prayer. He could go to death in peace because his eyes had beheld the glory. Jesus touches on these blessings as well in Matthew 13. Turn to Matthew 13, 16 for me. After explaining the purposes of parables, Jesus is telling them, and some are not going to understand. And they're not, they're not understanding out of judgment toward them. But you who understand, you have eyes to see. Here's what he tells them in Matthew 13, 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your eyes, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Daniel. The list goes on. They wanted to see the fullness of the gospel that we now see. Our light, our eyes behold the fullness of redemptive history. And our scriptures declare its truth. Blessed are those eyes. So with a truth like that, with a blessing like that, why is it so hard for us? Why are we cursed with this double vision? I mean, any of you who have problems with eyes, who need glasses, who've had contacts, when your eyes, when there's something wrong with your eyes, like the whole world is messed up. And you need that to be corrected. But spiritually, we are not to have that same double vision. We, Jesus wants this, this 2020 that is zeroed in and focused on the things of eternity. If we're so focused on the things of eternity, we can see the rest of this world clearly. But if we're solely focused on the things of this world, we lose both. If our eyes are focused on eternity, we get the blessings of this world and the next. But if our eyes are so focused on this world, we lose both. And we're stumbling around blind. So as we continue... In our passage, I want to look at the word lamp a little quicker than we did with, with I, but this is important as well. Because in a culture where there's no electricity, a lamp is so key. So if your only hope is the stars, that lamp is guiding you. That lamp is making sure that you're not stumbling. And that lamp, depending on the power of the lamp and the type of light that is emitted out of that lamp, will depend on how well you will see. What kind of light shines out will influence how and what you see. But if our eyes are a lamp, also the type of light that goes into this lamp will determine what is inside. Because Jesus is making this connection. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Our lamps are healthy. Our whole body will be full of light. But 
If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. It's like if you take in a flashlight and you put a red filter over that or a green filter over that, that light becomes whatever you are filtering it through. If our light is filtered through the things of this world, it will be distorted. If our light is only slightly focused on the things of God, we'll have this little five lumen light that couldn't see our way out of a dark room. If we are rooted in God's word, if our affections are rooted in the things of eternity, our 5,000 lumens will be bold. And we'll make the darkest night clear as day because we're being guided by the truth of Scripture. Because ultimately, what is inside of us will come out. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is inside will come out. And what is outside of us that we are viewing will make its way in. I love what Psalm 27.1 says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If you want to meditate on a verse this, this week, a verse of praise would be Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. All that is coming to who our light is, who our salvation is, where our hope is. If your eye is bad, full of darkness, if the eye is understanding and if your eye is bad, there's a lack of understanding. There's a lack of spiritual growth or there may be a lack of spiritual transformation at all. There is no Lord, there is no light, and there is no salvation. There is only darkness. Living in this world, our eyes are bombarded by darkness. TV, music, media, news, they all want us to be consumed with the dark things of this world. Remember I said last week, we are definitely outmanned, but we are not outgunned. It is coming at us from every angle. The things of this world want us to find our identity in this world. And we know, those of us who are in Christ, those of us who came to Christ as adults, we know what it was like to be in the world. And we know there are some things that once you see them, you can't unsee them. And now seeing with new eyes, you realize what I put my eye on could haunt me the rest of my days, or the rest of this day at least. And sadly, in our culture, we're desensitized to the world. You know, our consciousness are so seared to sin that what offended us last year doesn't offend us now. That what bothered us before, we've seen so much, that ah, it's just normal. Our eyes have become accustomed to walking around and stumbling around in darkness. Many times, and sadly many Christians I talk to, they don't know how to distinguish between the darkness of the world and the light of Scripture. Because they don't know what Scripture says. But on the other hand, a little light goes a long way. You know, when we go to the horse mires later and we gather on the fire, if the fire wasn't there, they don't, they don't really have street lights out there, and there were, there were no um, floodlights outside the house, and it was dark, and there was not a star in the sky, how valuable would a flashlight be? 
If one of your children goes missing, you have to chase them into the forest. How valuable would a flashlight be? But not only having a flashlight, but it is where that light is shined. Because if I'm searching for you in the woods, my flashlight is up in the trees and I'm not watching where I walk. Where I put my light could determine the difference between safety and injury or death. Let's take it a step further. But if we're walking in the darkness, if we're walking in the woods at night with all of our brothers and sisters and we all have our lights, how likely are we to stumble? If there are 10 of us, 100 of us, who are walking together in this darkness and we all have our lights, it will become as if it's day. That is the importance of having believers in your life. That is the importance of Christian community, those who can have an honest conversation with you. Let's open God's word together. Let's solve our problems with the truth of Scripture. Because if all of us have our lights on and shining brightly, the darkness does not stand a chance. That is what Jesus is telling us. How are we sure that our batteries are charged? How are we sure that this light will be strong? Well, we should all know this, but do we apply it like this? Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Isn't it interesting that anytime Jesus wants to apply a truth to our lives, it always comes back to God's word. It always comes back to the eternal truth that your word, It's a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I mean, I would say that it's just great coincidence that these passages work together. I said, no, is that all of Scripture declares these truths. Jesus wasn't teaching anything new. David knew this. Jesus was just bringing the cookies onto the lower shelves so we get our grubby hands on it because we weren't understanding the truth that, that David understood well. That if you are rooted in God's word, you will not stumble. That if God's word is your lamp. If your eyes see things through the lens of scripture and they're not distorted by this world, you can walk clearly and confidently. And if you are surrounded by brothers and sisters who see clearly according to God's word, you will not stumble. And if they do, if you do, or if they do, you'll be there to pick them up. We covered this a few weeks ago. Uh, Wait, before I get to that, I want us to turn to Proverbs chapter 4. I think that this is great because uh, the writer of Proverbs here connects these, and it's so important. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. I'm going to read 20 through 27. Proverbs four twenty says, listen to this, listen to the wisdom here. My son... Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. See how sight and heart are connected here? For they are life to those who find them and healing to all of their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. 
and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes gaze directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is not new. The writer of Proverbs knew this, that if our hearts were rooted in God's word and our eyes saw straight ahead, looking toward our Father's kingdom, then we would not stumble. Sin does not have the same power on us when we see with an eternal perspective. Back in Matthew, we covered this a few weeks ago. But in chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is the culmination of our light. Is that our works, our kingdom works, what we do for our Father's glory will declare his kingdom and put him on full display. We are the marketing department for heaven. Some of us boldly declare, some of us like myself can do it here. To do it with people who might reject me, it's terrifying. But I have to repent of my fear declaring these things boldly. We have to repent of us not being rooted in God's word and not finding our comfort and our confidence in the truth of scripture. And in order to be this lamp and to be this light, we need to be undivided. We can't serve two masters. Here's where we get to our last couple verses. Back in our passage in Matthew 6, No one can serve two masters, verse 24, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This passage says money, the word is is mammon, and it has a, a, a richer meaning. It's not just money. It's not dollar bills. It is possessions. It is stuff. It is anything that we can possess and hold in our hands. Nothing we can hold in our hands, nothing we have can become our master. Because it's not just about having the treasure. Don't let me tell you that. Having nice things is not a bad thing. But when those nice things have you, that's where the trouble starts. It's not the things themselves. It is the love of the money. It is the allegiance and the attitude about them. It's not about the wealth or our finances. But if our finances rule over us or we rule over them. There is to be this heavenly disconnect to our stuff. I'm holding it loosely. I can let go of it at any time. It's great. It is a blessing. But if it's taken from me tomorrow, I will rejoice in the Lord just the same. And I can because he's good, because he's faithful, because he's my father and his promises are true. That he has riches stored for me in heaven, whether I have riches here on earth or not. That, brothers and sisters, is the difference between ownership and stewardship. Because in our lives, we can be consumed with what we own. Because if it's based on our ownership and what we possess, 
then our identity is wrapped up in these things. But if we see every good thing and every blessing is coming from our Father, then we are just stewards. It's coming in one hand and going out the other. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Because if we are obsessed with ownership, we will very soon be owned by our possessions. And truly, they will become our master. I love what Sir Francis Bacon says. He says that uh, money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. I mean, he is a scientist philosopher who understood scripture. He understood that money is a great tool that can be used. But it is also a ruthless master who can soon enslave you. But the beauty this time of year is that Christ came and he died to bring us under a good and benevolent master. To take us away from the slavery of being obsessed with things. To bring us under our king. To bring us into the heavenly courtroom. To give us eternal riches. Not to still be slaves to things that have no life. My phone is a fun tool. I'm on it every day. It shouldn't be, but it gives me no life. Things that we hold so closely that we think we can't live without, are they stealing more life from us than they're giving? Do the things that we put our desires into, do they leave us full? Or do they leave us needing more? Is it like any other addiction where we, when we get into it, we have to have more and the next fix and the next fix and the next fix. Are we content with whatever we are given? Are we seeking for our joy and security in these temporary things? So I think this is perfect leading into next week. Because next week, Justin's going to talk about not being anxious about our belongings and the things of this world. So after this morning, no one should have an excuse for not being in church next week. Because on the great holiday of uh, materialism, are we going to forego gathering as the body to celebrate materialism? I had to do that. <laughs> so how do we conclude this morning? Jesus is getting at hard stuff here. He's getting at internal issues. Again, these are not visible sins. These are not smoking and drinking that we can point out and say, ha ah, I'm better than you in this regard. These are heart sins. You know, these are warnings against a divided heart. And only you know this. Because these are things you can even hide from your spouse and hide from your kids and hide from your, your, your parents. What am I desiring? That's why we need to examine ourselves. For the God of all creation, there is no room for division in our hearts. We are to be pure in our devotion. We are to be so focused on the good news of the, the gospel that God, Emmanuel, is with us, walked in flesh, lived the perfect life, came so that forgiveness of sins and repentance can be proclaimed to the edge of the earth. That should drive our affections. And we should recognize in our lives when immediate things that may be good for a time become ultimate things and become idols in our lives. And we look to the immediate over the ultimate. I want you to leave with this. That if your hope is in immediate things, 
you are deriving your security from immediate things, repent and turn to Jesus. If you do not know Jesus and your hope is only in immediate things and all you have is the things of this world who will let you down, repent and turn to Jesus. And if you are in Christ and your heart is divided, repent and turn to Jesus and then you will have treasures in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are <laughs> these are idol-shattering words. These are divided heart either mending or breaking words that we cannot stand with one foot in this world and one equal foot in heaven. It is not possible. We are either serving you or we are serving money. We are serving possessions. We are serving identity. We are serving our job. We are serving anything that is in place of you, Lord. Forgive us. Let us come before you and cry out repentantly. We can turn from whatever is in this world that has captivated our hearts and that we may look to you in glory. That we may celebrate who you are in your kingdom that is to come and the eternal riches that can never be snatched from us. Brother Eddie said earlier, I believe in the prosperity gospel. Just not the one that these fools preach. I, I included the uh, fools part. The prosperity gospel is that we will prosper in eternal things if we sow into eternal things. We will prosper for eternity because our God is eternal and his riches are eternal. Lord, thank you for the good things of this world. We recognize that everything good comes from you. But forgive us when we make those good things ultimate things and we put them on your throne. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.